failure, let me ask you this. When it comes to relationships, how many of you have ever been through a divorce? Can I see a show of hands? Have you ever battled, been through a divorce? Okay, you know what it's like to feel like a failure in that area. How about parenting? Um, I know parents that they can, they can make McDonald's for their kids instead of a home-cooked meal, and they feel like a failure for the next three days because they made their kids eat chicken McNuggets from, from, that have no chicken in them from McDonald's. We know what it's like to feel like a failure. If you've ever felt like a failure because of a choice that your child has made, um, don't, don't let the enemy lie to you and make you feel guilty. It's interesting. Um, you, there are incredibly successful Christian men and women all over the world um, who had awful parents. And there are adults who are living a life of crime who had amazing parents. So don't think because of what your, the decisions your child makes, that determines whether or not you're a success or failure as a parent. Um, uh, you, can ra- you can have more than one child and you can raise them both the exact same. And one choose to honor God and go forward in life and the other one choose to do wrong things on a regular basis. So don't let how your children turn out determine whether or not you feel like a success or a failure. We know what it's like to feel like a failure um, spiritually. Where last week we said a few cuss words we know we shouldn't have said. We wrote a nasty email we know we shouldn't have written. We came to Bible study and we didn't do any of the homework but we lied and pretend like we did. And we didn't even have our Bible with us. And you feel like a failure, God, I failed spiritually. What's going on in my life? We know what it's like to feel like a failure. Um, these thoughts bombard the minds of believers because the enemy wants us to feel guilty. He wants us to feel condemned on a regular basis and he never wants us to go forward in life. But one of the main scriptures you need to have memorized in times of thoughts of failure is Proverbs 24, 16. It says, a righteous man falls seven times, but he will always get back up again. Now, I need you to see something very, very important about this scripture. Um, I need, you can have three ushers standing at the back. I just want you all to stand up there, unguard you know, ready, making sure everything stays calm and quiet so that no one gets interrupted in the entire sanctuary. A uh, righteous man falls seven times, but always get back up. Here's what I want you to see. Unrighteous people fall, and we know that. We know that unrighteous people fail. We know that unrighteous people who do not honor God, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who don't want to do their best in life, we know these people fail. That is obvious. But according to the scripture, righteous people also fall. In other words, you might say that every single person in this room, no matter how much you try to honor God or how good of a person you are, you will fall. You have fallen and you will fall again. The difference between righteous people and unrighteous people, the difference between people who do honor God and who do not honor God is simply this, they always get back up again. Always. The common denominator with people who fulfill their God-given destiny are not the richest people in the world. They're not the most popular people in the world. They're not the most um, charming people in the world. They're not the most educated. They're not the smartest. Thank God if you went to Myrtle Beach High School, you can still fulfill your destiny. God still has a plan for your life. The common denominator of people who fulfill their God-given destiny is simply this. They always get back up again. No matter how many times they fall, the people you look up to in life, the successful CEOs, the sports players, the actors, the songwriters, the musicians, the people you, who you call your heroes, they aren't people that didn't fall. Every single person falls and fails. The people who fulfill their destiny are the people who simply get back up again. Let me show you something in the Bible. Moses and Cain both committed murder. 
You talk about an awful failure. If there was any area you do not want to fail in, it's in the area of murder. Moses and Cain, they lived in the Old Testament, and they both did something horribly wrong. I mean horribly wrong. One man decided to get back up again 40 years later, fulfill his God-given destiny, and lead the Israelites out of bondage, out of slavery, into the promised land. The other man just kept running and stayed down. Both men did the same failure. But one man fulfilled his destiny, and it was simply the one who got back up again. Um, Jonah and King Saul, they both completely turned their back on God. They knew exactly what God wanted them to do, but they did the exact opposite. I mean, literally the exact opposite of what God said. God gave them chance after chance after chance. One man killed himself with his sword. The other man thanked and praised God after three days in the belly of a whale. He got spit up on dry land and he fulfilled his God-given destiny. Both men disobeyed God. Both men did the same type of failure. Both men turned their back on God. One man fulfilled his destiny. It wasn't the smartest man because we know King Saul was very wise. It wasn't the most good-looking because the Bible says King Saul was very good-looking. It wasn't the one that was the most popular. It wasn't the one with the most money. It wasn't the one with the most education. The man out of the two who actually fulfilled his destiny was simply the man who got back up again. That's why we're talking about him today. Um, Ruth and Naomi, they both had husbands that died. Both of them went through a tragic event, an awful circumstance in life. Uh, Women didn't have the rights back then they have now, so like who they were married to was everything, their livelihood. And, um, And these two ladies both lost a husband. Both went through a tremendous fall in life. One lady decided to serve other people and do her best and honor God. The other lady changed her name to Mara, which means I'm bitter and sour about life. One woman fulfilled her destiny and married the most rich powerful man in the city named Boaz. The other man stayed at home and took care of grandkids every day and stayed sour. It wasn't the woman who didn't have a tragedy because they both went through a tragedy. It was the woman who got back up again. Jesus had many disciples. There's 12 main ones we talk about. Of those 12, we know that Judas and Peter were both his disciples. Judas and Peter both walked with Jesus. They both talked with Jesus. They both spent time with Jesus and they both failed Jesus terribly. I mean, when Jesus needed a friend more than ever, he's getting beaten. Uh, One of his eyes, I can imagine, is just completely purple. Blood's running down his scalp from a a crown of thorns put on his head. And he's getting punched and punched left and right. And all of a sudden, when he needed a friend more than ever, it was in this darkest time of need. And he looks across the courtyard and someone says to Peter, do you know that man? And Peter says, I don't know him. And they're punching Jesus and blood's pouring down. They say it again, I know you know the man. Peter says, no, I don't know him. A third time he cussed and said, I blankety blank don't know the man. And right there the Bible says their eyes met across the courtyard. Think about how Peter felt when Jesus looked at him with his eyes, with blood pouring down his face. He looked at him thinking, this is if there's ever a time in life where I wanted somebody to say, you do know me, somebody to say, you do love me, somebody to say, you are, you do got my back. I needed a friend now more than ever and you deny me? And Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He simply told all the soldiers, this is the guy named Jesus. They gave him 30 pieces of silver. Both men failed Jesus terribly. One man hung himself. The other man became an incredible pastor with so much anointing that even his shadow was healing people. The one that became an incredible pastor with great anointing and helped so many lives wasn't the man who didn't fall. It was the man who got back up again. Our heroes of faith are not the ones who didn't fall. They're the ones who didn't stay down. And today in talking about failure, I need you to see failure in a whole new light. 
Don't see failure as a waste in your life. Don't see failure as something that happened and you're never going to get that time back and it's never going to be restored to you. See failure as a way to learn and to grow and to gain conviction in your heart and to draw closer to God because no matter what you do or no matter what you say, no matter how you raise your kids or how much money you make, you are going to fall. Your children are going to fall, your grandchildren are going to fall, your parents are going to fall, your boss is going to fall, and all these people have fallen in life. We've all failed. The question is, who is going to get back up again? At home behind my house, I have a beautiful uh, garden. It's got tomatoes, it's got bell peppers, potatoes, uh, strawberries, lavender, mint, it's got herbs. And when I first planted this garden, it was very, very small. I mean, it looked bare. It looked like you could plant 10 more things in the garden. The, 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 the vegetables were just four or five inches high. I mean, it looked like it wasn't going to produce anything. And so I went out and I bought some uh, mulch, some fertilizer. The main ingredient in fertilizer is manure. It is waste. It's something you think needs to get thrown out. It's something that's nasty, stinky. Why would we even have any of that around? And I pour it all over my garden, and I can hear the tomato bushes screaming. In fact, I heard one of them say something like, oh my gosh, you're a pastor. I can't believe you're doing this to me. We're so upset. It stinks like crapola. Crapola is the Greek term for fertilizer, crapola. And they're screaming, saying, why would you cover us up with this? I hate it. I don't like it. It smells. It's nasty. I don't want to be here. How could you do this to us? And the truth is, it does stink. And I walk outside, and the whole yard stinks for weeks. But then after about a month, all of a sudden, you'll walk back out there, and once was a small little bush, a little teeny plant, has now grown 10 times bigger than it originally is, and is producing vegetables and fruit all over the place. What happened? I put something on top of it that stinks, that it doesn't like, but it was the only way for it to get the minerals and nutrients that it needed. Otherwise, it would not have had those minerals to help it grow. In our life, we all go through things that stink. We go through times that smell. Our own fault, something else happens to us. Either way, we see this as crapola. And we think, God, I can't believe I went through this crapola. I don't like how it feels. I don't like how it smells. I feel like a failure. This is awful. But I want you to start seeing those failures in a new light. That's not crapola. That's fertilizer. And God never wastes anything that we go through. You think it needs to be thrown out and tossed. You think it's nasty and disgusting. Get rid of it. I don't want to see it. But if I didn't have that manure on my garden, it would not grow and become all that God created it to be. And David said in Psalms 4.1, God, you enlarged me not in the easy times. You enlarged me not when the sun was shining down on me. You enlarged me not when the pure water was being poured on me. You enlarged me in the times of manure. You enlarged me in the times of distress. You enlarged me when all the difficult things were around me. You enlarged me when I wanted to give up. You enlarged me when I wanted to run away. You enlarged my life in the times of major distress. Failure isn't failure as long as you learn and as long as you grow from it. Thomas Edison took 2,000 times to invent the light bulb. I mean, 2,000 tries. 2,000 times he failed. 2,000 times he tried to do it and it didn't work. 2,000 times he went to flip the switch and nothing happened. 2,000 times to finally get to 2,001 or so until the light bulb finally worked. 
but he never felt like a failure. In fact, some, one time a reporter asked him, they said, tell me about those 2,000 tries that you failed. And he said this, and I quote, I've never once failed. I've just found 2,000 ways that the light bulb will not work. And what he was saying is this, life is a 2,000 step process. Parenting is a 2,000 step process. You can think I failed a thousand times. That's okay. You got a thousand more times you can fail. I had somebody tell me once, they said, John Paul, if I could parent all over again, I would make different mistakes. Even if you went back in time and you could do all the wrong things right, you would make new wrong choices because parenting is a 2,000 step process. Um, relationships. Having a really great friendship with somebody or a great marriage, an incredibly successful marriage, it is a 2,000 thousand step process ministry is a two thousand step process in construction if you make a mistake you just fix it and go back and get another piece of wood in the restaurant industry something tastes bad you try again but when you're a pastor and, and you every choice i make affects everyone which in turn affects me back paint color affects my life you would not believe how much a paint color can affect my life and my study time because it affects your life which in turn affects my life and so i learned years ago my mentor told me he said john paul every time you make a mistake just call it that person's name and call it a lesson so i have a folder at home with a sally lesson a john lesson and all and it reminds me these weren't failures these were times i could learn and grow and the, i thought for sure when i started the church i thought for sure that if i did my very best to hear from God, and if I did my very best to spend time with God and honor God, and if I always thought I was doing the right thing, then everything would go perfect, and I would never make a mistake. I thought for sure that was the key, but I learned even righteous people fall and fail. And so I learned those are lessons. Mary lesson, John lesson, Mark 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 lesson. I'm just kidding. Anyway, here, here's what I'm saying is this life is a 2,000 step process. There's no way to get out of it. Business, being a successful business owner, listen, it's a 2,000 step process. Going to college can be a 2,000 step process. Stop looking in your rearview mirror thinking I'm a failure. I can't believe this happened. Just see that as fertilizer and learn and grow from it. One of the greatest things we can do in life whenever we feel like a failure is learn to celebrate the small successes along the way. Learn to celebrate the times that you did do the right thing. Learn to celebrate the times that you did overcome and see the failures as simply a step to get to the right move in life. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezra, the people uh, were so excited to start rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, God could not live in the hearts of people. He had to live in a location. So they wanted a location, a building for him to come and dwell so they could worship and praise. And so all from the neighboring cities, they all come together. They bring their gold, their jewels, their blood, sweat, and tears, and they work hard to create this temple for God. And they finally finish the foundation of the building. Once the foundation of the building was done, the Bible says they began to sh uh, shout and cheer and clash cymbals and blow trumpets. And in Ezra 3.11, the people sang and shouted, praise the Lord, because the foundation of the temple was laid. Listen, there were no walls. There were no chairs. There were no classrooms. There was no air conditioning. There were no speakers. There were no lights other than maybe candles. And when they wanted to do like a retro scene, they would hold the candle and everybody would do like this at the same time while the singers were saying that never happened. There were none of these things. All there was was the foundation. But they celebrated 
what they had accomplished. It might not have been the full miracle. It wasn't the, 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 they weren't the CEO yet. They didn't have the greatest marriage of all time. They didn't have the most successful child. They didn't do all the right things. But you know what? The thing they did do, even though it was small, they celebrated the partial victory along the way. We have to learn how to do the same thing in life. Um, you may have uh, failed spiritually last week, but you're in church today. Do you know how many millions of believers did not get up and come to church this morning? You can celebrate that. Uh, maybe you normally smoke 20 cigarettes a day, and yesterday you only smoked 18 cigarettes. Celebrate that with a joint. I'm just kidding. Just, I'm just saying, just celebrate. Listen, um, I'm joking. That was a total joke. I'm editing that out. Teenagers don't listen to anything I'm saying at all. So um, last week was supposed to be hell week for me. Hell week was where I work out twice a day. And I eat healthy all throughout the week and drink water. And it was supposed to be hell week, but it ended up being heaven week for me because I didn't work out twice a day every day. I worked out like five times. But listen, five times is better than four. You know, years ago, it wouldn't even have been one time a week. I'd be so stressed out working so hard. Um, Wednesday for breakfast, I had um, a Philly cheesesteak, fries, and a drink. Uh, for brunch, I had a hot dog with mustard, ketchup, chili, onions, and coleslaw, and a drink and fries. And then for lunch, I had a Big Mac with extra sauce, fries, and a Dr. Pepper. But listen, normally on my days that I'm splurging, I would have had four hot dogs. I had one. I can celebrate that by eating a barbecue sandwich later on today. <laughs> the point is, celebrate the small things along the way. Everybody knows the famous basketball player Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley is one of the all-time greats. And when he first started playing, when he first got drafted, he was an incredible shooter. He could shoot from anywhere and swish that ball. But he was very lethargic, very slow. He wasn't very quick. And he weighed over 300 pounds. And when he first came into the league, uh, an older player named Moses Malone took Charles under his, under his wing. And he was encouraging him one day. He said, Charles, if you could just lose eight pounds, you'd be so much better. So Charles went out and he lost eight pounds. He came back a week and a half later and Moses Malone high-fived him and they did some exercises and he said, you know what? The truth is, if you could lose eight more pounds, you'd be doing really good. So Charles Barkley went out and two weeks later, he came back and he had lost eight pounds. They high-fived each other. They worked out, did some stretches, did some drills. And then Moses Malone said, you know, Charles, Eight more pounds, and you would be just the best you've ever been. And he went out, and he lost eight more pounds. This went on five or six different times. And Charles Barkley went from over 300 pounds to right under 250 pounds. He finally came back, and then Moses Malone said, Charles, you are in the top of your game. You've never been any healthier. You've never been any better. You're going to do such a good job playing basketball. And he went out there and he became a star and was doing so great. And they got such a close relationship that Charles called him dad. And one day he was asking him, he said, dad, tell me back in the day, whenever you helped me start out, how come you didn't just tell me I needed to lose 60 pounds? How come you were telling me eight pounds here and eight pounds there? And Moses Malone said this, because you would have given up on day one. And I wanted to take you on a journey and celebrate your partial victories along the way. And the truth is, if God told some of y'all where he wanted you to be at a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, man, y'all would quit today. You say, I'm, I'm going on the river. I'm not going to church. I can't even handle it. God thinks I'm going to get here. How am I going to get there? And you don't realize that if you will just celebrate what you've already accomplished, there's going to be some times that manure is going to be thrown on you. There's going to be some times where you're going to be in some stinky situations of life and God says, give that to me. We'll celebrate the accomplishments you have done and the ones that you think you failed, we'll just use that to grow you to the next level.
In John chapter 6, I'm sure you know the story where Jesus was preaching to thousands and thousands one day and it got pretty late and people were getting hungry and he wanted to feed them. So he asked this small boy, y'all know the story, for five loaves of bread and how many fish? Two fish. How many fish? How many fish? Other than Michael, how many fish? Now, make sure y'all know your Bible. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus asked the boy for the food. And here's what he did when he took the food. In John 6, 11, Jesus took the bread and fish. He gave thanks and he distributed it among the people. Here's what I love about this story. The miracle was incomplete. The miracle had not happened. Nothing had been accomplished yet. But Jesus took the little bit that he did have he thanked God for it, he broke it, and then the miracle occurred and the completion came. And in life, we're going to have to go through some times where we get broken. We think life's over, how could this happen? But the brokenness is simply part of the miracle that God wants to do to get you to a place of completion, but you have to learn how to thank God for what you have right now. In verse 12, when they were all full, Jesus told his disciples, gather up the fragments, the broken pieces, the leftover, so that nothing be lost or wasted. Here's the point I want you to see. Jesus never wastes anything in our life. You can bring God nothing but broken pieces. You can bring him a broken marriage, a broken life, a broken career, you can be broken emotionally. You can be broken spiritually. You can bring him a, a broken body that's been abused, that's been mistreated. You bring that to God and what you think is a waste, what you think is trash, what you think should be thrown out, God says, no, 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 I'll take that and I'll make so much more out of it. In verse 13, they filled 12 large baskets with leftovers. Here's what I love. There was more leftover after the brokenness, after the thankfulness than there was to begin with. Your quote-unquote failure could be just the miracle that somebody else is looking for. Your failure could be the very thing that thrusts you to the next level. Your failure could be the very thing that gives you the wisdom to succeed beyond what you would have if you hadn't have gone through it before. Your failure could be part of someone else's miracle. It's a true story. I know you heard about it back in Georgia about two years ago. This 19-year-old had an assault rifle and he came into a school and started shooting everything up. He didn't hit any people. He only broke windows and doors and people scattered for their lives. After he did that, he took his assault rifle and he barricaded himself in a small room. He thought he was all alone. He could hear the helicopters flying above. The SWAT team had surrounded the building. And there was a woman, a middle-aged woman named Miss Tuff that had hidden underneath a desk. She was the accountant at the school. She very slowly stood up and her and the young man's eyes met face to face. He drew the rifle, pointed it right at her. She said to him, what are you doing? What's wrong? What's going on? He put the rifle down. He said, you don't know what it's like to be me. He said, I feel like I want to kill myself. I'm off my medicine. My life is over. I have no purpose, no meaning. I just want to die. She looked at him in the eyes and she said, I know exactly what you're going through. She said, I have a mentally handicapped child that I'm spending my life taking care of. And my husband of 33 years left me over a year ago all alone. I had lost my job. I thought my life was over and I wanted to kill myself. But by the grace of God, I didn't do it. 
She then told him how God gave her a new job there at the school and a new idea for a job as well. God brought somebody new into her life. Her child's doing great. She said, I wake up every single day enthusiastic about life. She looked at the boy in his eyes and she said, if God did it for me, then he can do it for you too. With a SWAT team everywhere, helicopters, you could hear everyone outside. The boy dropped the rifle and he walked out very, very peacefully. When it was all said and done, somebody interviewed Miss Tuff and she said this, I know God put me there because I've been through what he is going through. The point is, is God never wastes anything in our life. He can take our manure and he can make a beautiful garden out of it. One time in the Old Testament, David had already been very, very successful. He already defeated Goliath. He killed a bear. He killed a lion. He was successful in the Israeli army. Uh, There was a time where Saul put him in charge, and David went from one victorious battle to another. I mean, on and on. It was so, he was so popular, so victorious, people were singing songs about David. Then all of a sudden, something changed in King Saul's heart, and he began to get very, very jealous. And now he's trying to kill David, literally throwing spears, trying to kill him. Imagine what it feels like to go from such a place of success to such a place of failure in a matter of just a few hours. I mean, everyone loved him, and now people are out to kill him. Literally, Saul is paying people to put a, he's putting a price on David's head to have him murdered. So David runs out of the palace as fast as he can. He's running from one city to the next, hiding out from Saul and his men. And David finally stops to take a breath. And he realizes he ran out of the palace without his slingshot. He doesn't have a bow and arrow, doesn't have a gun, doesn't have a taser, nothing like that. And so he's in this city and he asks everybody, he says, does anybody have a weapon that I can use? I need a weapon. I have an enemy out to kill me. I need help. Is there anybody that will let me use their sword? No one in town would let him use their weapon. I guess they didn't want the serial number from the sword to get caught up in a, you know, or the forensic files, to the, the fingerprints and stuff like that. Whatever reason, nobody would let him use the sword. And someone yelled out of the crowd, there's only one sword in this town that no one's using, but it belongs to some guy that used to be a shepherd years ago. David says, what are you talking about? He said, go talk to the priest. So David goes to the priest who knows everything and everybody in town. And in 1 Samuel 21, 9, the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. David's face lit up. Of all the cities that I could have ran to, of all the weapons that could be available to me, there is none like that. Give it to me. I want you to think about this. David feels like a failure. He's ready to give up. Life is over. And then all of a sudden, God allowed him to see, touch, and hold the very sword that was meant to destroy him years before. He's now going to take that same sword and use it to destroy new enemies in his future. God never wastes anything that we go through. Don't ever forget the previous battles that you did win. You can use those swords in life to defeat the upcoming enemies you'll have in your future. Last story that I have for you, and I'll let you go. I want you to think about this. God knows that we're going to fail. He's already made a way of provision. He knows we're going to fail. The enemy knows we're going to fail. But only you know if you're going to get back up after you fail. The choice is totally yours. 
there's a city in South America. I've been following this, this story for the past several years. I remember the first time I heard it. And uh, it's a city where all the trash is taken. I mean, it's just heaps of trash. It's a just complete dump of a city. I mean, everywhere you look, there's garbage, heaps and heaps of garbage. I mean, the nastiest place in the world. Um, every day, surrounding cities, all the dump trucks come. They just literally dump the trash all over the streets, all over the people's yards, all over the rivers. Everywhere you look in the city is nothing but trash. Children, that's all they do all day long is the children and the parents go through the trash and they try to find things that they can sell to nearby cities that's of any good, anything. I mean, for pennies on the dollar, you would never think anything good could come out of this city. One day, a, a, a musician, a very popular musician, was walking through that town just visiting and his heart broke when he saw all the kids literally just living on trash, living in trash, playing with trash. And he decided he wanted to open up a music school, but he didn't have any money to get new instruments. And so he began to go through the trash himself. And he got his carpenter friend, and they started finding pieces of trash to turn into instruments. An old box would become part of a guitar. Um, uh, buckets and cans would become part of a percussion system. Uh, old pipes, tubing, would become parts of, of trumpets and clarinets and saxophones. Then, after he put all these instruments together, he actually taught these children how to play this music. They ended up becoming so good and so successful, they now travel around the world to sold-out venues so that people can hear this landfill orchestra. I mean, it's the most beautiful music you ever heard, and they're literally playing trash. When it was all said and done, they interviewed some very famous musicians, and one said this, and I'll never forget. She said, I never thought you could make music out of trash. My point is this. God loves to take people who have failed and make them instruments for his greatest purposes. Again, the question is not whether or not you're going to fail. The question is simply, are you going to get back up after you do? The last scripture I want to read you is the most important. It's in 2 Corinthians 7, and I had you turn there in your Bibles. I want you to mark it up, have it in front of you, get it ready, because in life, failure is going to happen. In life, the enemy is going to bombard you. In life, you're going to feel like throwing in the towel and giving up. But anytime that happens, I want you desperately to pull out this scripture and read it and underline it and study it and read it forwards and read it backwards and quote it to yourself, lay in bed and see it. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11 says this in the message, I'm glad, not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result was all gain, no loss distress that drives us to God turns us around. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. Now it is wonderful all the ways in which the distress has brought you closer to God. You're more alive. You're more sensitive. You're more reverent. You're more passionate. And you're more responsible. That is what God wants to do in our lives. He knows how to make music out of our mess, fertilizer out of our failure, and miracles out of our mistakes.